what must I do to inherit eternal life? This question that the scholar of the law asks Jesus is perhaps one of the most important questions that we could ask in life, to ask God in life. What do I have to do to live forever? After all, this world is passing away and each of us one day is going to die. Jesus says, what do you read in the law? How do you read it? And he says the perfect answer, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with your being, your strength and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. You see, it's all about love and how we respond to love. This is critically important for us to remember because it is ultimately this call to love that each of us instinctively know. We instinctively know that if we do not sincerely try to love God, we do not seek to love our neighbor as ourself, that we might lose our inheritance that Jesus won for us on the cross. And we might not inherit eternal life. You see, the occasion of the scholar's kind of pride is self-justification of saying, well, who is my neighbor? gives Jesus the opportunity to share with us perhaps one of his most well-known parables, and that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And typically, we, when we hear about the parable of the Good Samaritan, we, we think about like, like the specifically the Levite and the scribe and, and, and those who pass by the neighbor, and, and we talk about who the Samaritan is and why he chooses to care for the person who has been robbed on the road. But I want to offer this morning a patristic interpretation that is very ancient, that a patristic meaning of the church fathers that goes all the way back to the early church. They read this parable in an allegorical way, and I'm going to offer that this morning, and kind of, I'm going to add a little bit of, of some things to make it a little bit clearer, because I think it's, incre it's incredibly helpful to us as to what does it mean to love God and our neighbor. The patristics understood that the man who was robbed as a, a kind of a sign or a symbol of humanity. That is all of us. That we were traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a symbol of going from the place of dwelling with God into the world. And we were robbed and stripped by evil spirits. That we had fallen into sin. And as we've fallen into sin, we are left helpless on the roadside dead. We're stripped of our dignity, right? And so this represents the fall of humanity. And we're on the roadside half dead. That is, we're living half like in this world and in the world to come, right? We've been robbed of our life with God. Like we're half alive, right? And, and what happens is as, as this traveler is stripped half dead, right? What, what begins to happen is that the priest and the Levites walk by and they're not capable of handling this man. They're not capable of healing him. Right, that the Old Testament and the law and the Old Covenant was not capable of bringing healing to the human race. And so what happens is not until the traveler from Samaria, the Samaritan who represents Jesus, who travels from heaven, who approaches us, right, and has compassion on us, that, that we're able to have our life back. Notice he pours wine and oil in the wounds. And the early church understood this as symbols of the sacraments, right? Where God is pouring his life into us. He's giving us healing. He's restoring us to life, right? And he, and he, he makes sacrifices out of his own heart, right? What's so powerful about this is that it says that the Samaritan is moved with compassion, right? That's God's attitude toward us. He's moved with compassion when he sees our suffering. He brings us to the inn in order to care for us. 
And the inn represents the church. It's that place where we as sinners who've been redeemed, have been lifted up by God's love, go to experience healing and love. It's where we are restored and rehabilitated, rehabilitated in order for us to live like the Samaritan. And what's so powerful about this is that he gives him two silver coins. It says, take care of him. If there's anything more that you need, I will pay you back. Jesus pays for two days, if you may, for us to live in the church. What happens on the third day? Jesus raises from the dead and he comes to bring us back to Jerusalem, to the new Jerusalem, where we can be with him again, having been healed by the love of God. You see, the purpose of this spiritual interpretation of the gospel is not to tell us how we are to love our neighbor. It's to reveal to us and to remind mind us that Jesus himself is the good Samaritan. He's our good neighbor who has had compassion on us, who loved us where we were helpless and has come to restore us to the very life of God. I believe one of the reasons why we don't love our neighbor as Jesus asks us to is because we aren't quite convinced of what he's done for us, or we forget to live out of this reality. I think this is really important because we talk about evangelization all the time, talk about sharing the good news. Well, to be evangelized is to be convinced of what God has done for us, that we needed that redemption, that without him we're helpless, it's to be convinced that his love has come and has restored us. And it's to choose to respond in faith to this revelation so that we can do likewise to others. That's what it means to be evangelized. And yet in many ways, if we do not recognize that God has done this for us, or we don't believe it, we're probably not going to love other people. In other words, if I do not know how much I have been loved, if I do not know the helpless situation from which Jesus saved me from, I'm probably going to walk by all the people on the side of the road in my life. I probably won't love them as much as God has loved me because I'm not aware of what he's done. We live in a culture in many ways which denies the very condition of salvation, a culture that is refusing to acknowledge its precarious situation that doesn't understand that without God, there is no hope, doesn't understand how we've been stripped of our dignity because of sin, is in denial of sin itself. And thereby it's hard for the culture to recognize how is it that we love others. It's easy for us to look out on people who do not care about anybody else. So only looking out for themselves, who are completely blind to the needs of those who are vulnerable. We need to recognize that it's not our responsibility to judge them, but to help them to know what God has done for them. Because the inability to see our need for God, our inability to see how we're vulnerable, how we need salvation is itself part of the sickness of being on the side of the road. That is itself a sign of moral blindness. And we who know Jesus as our good Samaritan are meant to invite people to recognize the incredible love of God who has come to restore us and to be our good neighbor. So before we're concerned about loving our neighbor, before we start thinking, well, who's my neighbor? How am I to love them? It's critically important to recognize how Jesus himself is our good neighbor, how he's been our good Samaritan, how he has come to restore us. So if you're already there, I just wanna offer one point or one word about who our neighbor really is. 
As Christians, we know that our neighbor is more than just those who are financially poor, more than just those who are physically poor, that is that they're ill. We need to recognize that our neighbor also includes those who are emotionally poor, relationally poor, those who are spiritually poor. And therefore, the neighbor that God is asking us to love could very well be that very needy person that you have a hard time being around. That needy person who perhaps has had such a difficult life that he or she is very rough around the edges and therefore is uh, very difficult to love. Maybe that needy person is suffering from a deep down sadness and depression that you're unaware of. Maybe that's the neighbor on the side of your road as you travel in this life. Or perhaps your neighbor might be that unpleasant person who is so wounded and so filled with themselves that it's, they, they never admit that they're wrong with anything. They always are right, right? And they get defensive. They blame other people for the problems in their lives and they end up kind of sabotaging their relationships. Such people are very difficult to love. But maybe they're just simply on the road, half dead, having been stripped by sin and evil spirits. Maybe God is calling us to go out of our way to love them. Or perhaps your neighbor is the one who is the proud person who wants to look down on everyone and is just trying to get ahead in the world. Maybe such a person never opens up about his or her weakness and is always making sure that everyone sees that they're perfect, but deep down they're afraid. Maybe your neighbor is your relative who differs with you on politics who differs on all sorts of different issues and they're incredibly difficult to love. Regardless of who it is, God is calling us to be the good neighbor who's willing to sacrifice and go out of our way to choose to love them. I wanna offer just a simple process by which we can love our neighbor. Number one, this is three steps. Thank Jesus for being your good neighbor. And no, this is not a State Farm commercial. Jesus, thank you for being my Samaritan. Thank you for coming to me and drawing near to me in my helplessness, where I was enslaved to sin, where I had no choice but to die because I could not save myself. Thank you for giving me your sacraments and your divine life. See, if we thank God for, for choosing to draw near to us, then we become aware of what we has been given to, that he's given to us, and therefore we're capable of bringing his love to others. So thank Jesus for being a good neighbor. Number two, Ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? What that does is it gives us the capacity to receive from him a revelation of people in our life that we simply do not see. There are many times in the New Testament where Jesus is calling us to, have the, to see things as God sees them. And unless we ask, we often will miss the very people in our life that we're supposed to love. So Jesus, who is my neighbor? And number three, and this is perhaps one of the things that we miss the most as Christians, Lord, how do you want me to love my neighbor? We shouldn't look to the world to tell us how to love. We need to look to the one who is love itself to give us his revelation and his encouragement. How is it that you want me to love this person? It might be very different from what the politicians are saying. It might be very specifically to that, very specific to that person. Lord, how do you want me to love them? Thank you, Jesus, for being my good neighbor. Lord, who is my neighbor? And how do you want me to love, love my neighbor? And if we can live like this, then each of us will be well on our way to inherit the kingdom of God.